I'm so grateful uh, that I've had the privilege to preach with him a couple of times on conferences. Um, and not only that, I've listened to him preach in other areas, other places. But I didn't know a whole lot about Brother Kevin until I, while I was sick, somebody called and told me, he said, there was a man named Kevin Ham that called and asked about you today. A few months later, they said there was a man named Kevin Ham that called and asked about you today. He barely knew me. I'm just an old country hick, and I didn't have any name face anywhere. My face wasn't anywhere. But just meeting me during that conference, I know he has a heart of God and a heart of compassion. And so not only that, he can preach the stars down. Pastor, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this, Brother Glenn. It's my honor, my privilege to be here tonight. Um, we've connected a couple of preaching events, and man, I love your spirit and your heart, and I'm just honored and humbled to be here tonight. And I just uh, pray God will just speak to us, continue to speak to us. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but God's in the house. Amen. Boy, have you experienced Him tonight through His Word and through the worship. Look at a neighbor tonight. Help me preach. It goes a lot quicker. You'll, you'll learn that. My, my folks learn to talk. If they don't, I just keep talking. It gets ugly after a while. So I did. look at a neighbor and tell them God's in the house. Amen? Yeah. The Lord is in His place. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 7. If you brought your word or on your tablet, Luke chapter 7. And I just want to speak for a little while on a familiar subject tonight. Familiar passage of Scripture. And just in, in light of what our dear brother has preached... You know, you never know when you're a, the second preacher for the night. I always bring two or three sermons. You never know what the, what the Lord may do or how God may direct them. But just in, just in keeping with the spirit in which Brother Jeff preached tonight, I, I want to share with you just a few minutes on this subject, igniting the power of Jesus in your life. Igniting the power of Jesus in your life and in our churches Friend, if there was ever time, man, our pastor put it so well. If there was ever time we needed a move of God in the house of God, now's the time, isn't it? I mean, we're in an absolute mess. We really are. And I, I told our folks, look, the answer to America's problem is not in President Trump. And, and the answer to America's problems, I said before the election, was not in Senator Hillary Clinton. The only answer we have is in J-E-S-U-S, -S, my friend. We need a move of God. Our nation is in a mess. Think about it. You think how far we've drifted as a nation from 1776. Think about this. In, in our classrooms now, we can no longer hang the Ten Commandments. Just think about how bizarre that is. Shout kill, you, you shall not murder, you shall not lie. You, shall, you can't hang that on the classroom walls in America classrooms. Think about that. You, you can no longer pray in many places, most places. You can't pray at a high school football game. On a Friday night or a high school basketball game, maybe you have a student-led prayer, but you, you can no longer say a prayer publicly over the air. Think about this. You can no longer have a manger scene on public property now in America. We're talking about a, a Mary, a Joseph, a Billy Goat, a baby Jesus, something like that. You can't have that on public property. That's going to offend somebody. I don't mean to be insensitive, but that is going to offend you, friend. Could I just say sensitively, could you just get on a boat and sail away? Because nobody's keeping you here. You know what I'm saying? And, and listen, the truth is we're Christian folk. We'll, we'll throw you a party, amen? We'll have a potluck on the seashore while we wave at you as you leave. It's no problem. Hey, listen, we're in a mess. We don't even know which bathroom to go to. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? 
We are in a mess. We need a move of God, the power of God, the favor of God. Our preacher earlier said it so eloquently. We can seek souls, but we got to have his power. We can preach sermons, but we got to have his power. We can have conferences. We can have activities. We can have programs. But if we don't have the power of God, the favor of God, the anointing of God, friend, we're wasting our time. Our nation's in trouble. Look at your neighbor and tell them we're in trouble. Come on. We're in trouble. Yeah. I think about this couple, their marriage was in trouble. And so the wife finally convinced the husband to go get some counseling. And so they sit down with this counselor and the wife just began to unload this counselor about the husband. Oh, he never helps around the house. He never mows the yard. He never washes the dishes. He never vacuums the floor. He doesn't do anything but lay on that couch. The counselor had all he could take. He stood the wife up. He leaned her back. He gave her the kiss of her life. He stood her back up, eyes as big as silver dollars, smiled as big as the moon. Looked at the husband. The husband, that's what your wife needs. He said, is that all? I can bring her by every Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> oh, we're in trouble. Uh, we need the favor of God. We need spirit-anointed churches full of spirit-anointed believers. We need, we need a move of God, don't we? we? We need to ignite the power of Jesus. In our, how does that happen? Let me give you three very simple lessons from our text tonight. Very simple. Luke chapter, look at Luke chapter 7, verse 37. Rather, 36. And then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. I'm in Luke 7, verse 36. And he sat down to eat with the Pharisee. Verse 37, you know this text. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed the feet of Jesus and she anointed them with fragrant oil. Now let's stop there just a moment. If we're going to ignite the power of Jesus in our life, in our homes, in our churches, number one, we've got to get desperate. 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 I'm telling you, this lady was desperate. You say, how do you know? Let, let me give you two simple reasons. Number one, she was not invited to the dinner, but she showed up. Did you notice that? Look again at verse 36. The Bible's very clear. And, and when Jesus had been invited to the Pharisee's house, when the Pharisee invited Jesus to the house, and yet this woman showed up uninvited. Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I love her audacity, her boldness, that, that she would just, uh, there's something about this woman, courageous, that she would just show up to a place she's not invited. Now, most scholars would tell us that she was a prostitute, and that's how she paid her bills, took care of her family. And so her life was not where God wanted to be. And in fact, it wasn't even where she wanted to be. You can, you can sense her frustration. You can, you can sense she has no joy, no satisfaction. She, she's discouraged, depressed. And she hears, one translation says she learns that Jesus is in town. And so she decides, man, this is my opportunity. I've got to get to Jesus. Listen to me tonight, church. She was desperate. Now, I don't sense that kind of desperation in most of our churches. As I travel and preach, and, and I, tonight I don't come as an expert. If you came to my church, we got some problems. I'm the pastor. We got trouble to begin with. So I, I'm not coming saying we've got it all figured out. We haven't. We've got some issues too. But let me tell you, I don't sense a holy desperation in our churches much anymore. I mean, if God shows up, it's awesome. We'd love for God to show up. It'd be wonderful. It'd be cool if God showed up. I mean, we're here, so God might as well show up. But if he doesn't, pastor, don't get so radical. It's okay. We'll survive. The sun will come up in the morning. We'll make it. We've made it before. We'll make it again. That's exactly why we're in the mess we're in. That's right. 
that there's no holy desperation. There, there's no urgency in our people to say, God, we're not going to eat. We're not going to sleep. God, we can't carry on like this. God, we're doomed. God, we're in a mess. Our schools are in a mess. Our, our violence is on every corner. Drugs is rampant. Murders are everywhere. Why, our kids, listen to me. Think about this. A few years ago, you never had to worry about going, if you go to a movie theater, you never worried somebody was going to march in there and start shooting. Are you like me? My family, I took my family the other day, was checking out one of these Christian movies that had come out and somebody walked in about 15 minutes late. Boy, I spied them down the whole way. I thought, what are they doing walking in there 15 minutes late, head on a long coat? And I began to look for the exit signs and I began to plan, how can we get out of this place? Let, let me tell you something, church. You never had to think like that 15, 20 years ago, but you do now while we're in a mess. It's no urgency. Here's this woman. She's not even invited. And she hears Jesus is in town. Man, her life's a wreck, right? I mean, she has no peace, no joy. And she hears Jesus is in town and she shows up. You can hear her talking to her girlfriends, maybe down at the salon, right? And she's telling them, maybe, maybe at the Walmart or in the grocery store, girls, you won't guess where I'm going. I'm headed over to the Pharisee's house Tuesday night. And, and, and the, they might ask, you mean you know the Pharisee? No. You don't know him? No. Did he invite you? No, he didn't invite me, but I'm going. Jesus is going to be there, and I'm going too. You mean he didn't call you and invite you? He didn't Facebook you, Twitter you? He, he didn't Snapchat you? He, he, he didn't RSVP you? He didn't text you? He didn't call? No, he didn't do any of that. I don't even know it, but I'm showing up. And you can hear her girlfriend say, you can't show up to a house you hadn't been invited to. You could see her step back and say, girls, you better watch me because Jesus is in town, and my life life is a wreck and I've got to get over there and see Jesus. Listen to me. Hear me tonight. There was an urgency, a desperation that we don't see in most of our churches anymore. Here's the Pharisee. Think about it, man. <laughs> he's invited Jesus to show up and Jesus is at his house. The Bible says he's, he's eating at the table with Jesus. Let that sink in a moment. He's eating with the Son of God. He's, I don't mean to be sacrilegious. He's having chips and salsa with the Messiah. Has that sunk in yet? I mean, that's what the Bible says. He's reclining at the table with Jesus. Can you just imagine that? I mean, he, this is his dream come true. He's talking to the fellows down there. You won't believe what's going to be in my house Friday night. Jesus. You mean, Je oh yeah, Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, the miracle worker. Oh yeah, the, the Lamb of God, the Pharisee. He gonna be at my house. We gonna be eating old Charlie's rolls. Yeah, we just gonna be hanging out together. And here he is hanging out with Jesus and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. He's probably thinking of all nights for the Mormons to show up. You've got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> and he begins to walk over that door and don't miss this. In walks this uninvited woman. Why? She was desperate. Desperate. You want to ignite the power of Jesus in your life, in your home, in your church? My church. He responds to desperation. 
The book of Isaiah, he says, he'll pour water on him that's thirsty. Jesus said himself, blessed are they who hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? They will be filled. My pastor is in heaven now, but as a young preacher boy, I was saved when I was eight. You don't know me, but I, I surrendered the ministry when I was 11 years old. And he would say to me, a bunch of us little preacher boys said, surrender the ministry. And he said, Kevin, you have all of God you really want. Boy, it's a sobering thought, isn't it? She was desperate. Why? She, she showed up when she wasn't even invited. She heard Jesus is in town, and she marched herself over there and said, Jesus, I've got to see you. My life's not where it needs to be. It's not where I want it. It's not where God wants it. I can't miss this opportunity because this may be my one and only opportunity. How many times do we come to church with that kind of urgency? I don't have any guarantee tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month. I've got this moment. I, I mean, I'm in the house of God, and, and I'm going to meet God. I've got to get a word from God. This life's too stressful. I can't go through life without a word from God. God, I'm here. Speak to me, God. I'll tell you a second way we know she was desperate. She noticed how the Bible describes her. Interesting, pastors, we never get her name, only a description. And what a description it is. Here it is, look this. And, and when a woman from the city who was a sinner. That's all we get. What a description that is. That's pretty crazy. I mean, we would describe somebody. We typically might describe, them. for instance, we might say, you know the woman I'm talking about. She's kind of, kind of tall, slender, brunette. And we say, oh, sure, I, I know you're talking about. Or we might say something like this. You know the woman I'm talking about. She, uh, she, uh, she works down at the food mart. She's one of the checkout clerks. And we might say, oh, sure, I've been down her lane. I, I'm sure... Or we might say, you, you know who I'm talking about. She, she's the gal. She lives at that uh, big white house on the corner of Third Oak, got the oak tree and got the picket fence and pine tree in the back. Oh, I know who you're talking about. In the country, we'd say something like this. You know who I'm talking about. It's old man Smith's daughter. We'd say, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about now. But, but the Bible doesn't describe her like that at all. The Bible says she was a sinner. And we never get her name. Wonder why. I don't know, but I just want to suggest that maybe God is trying to remind us the church was never designed to be a museum for saints, always designed to be a hospital for sinners. And so I tell our folks, look, if you've got it all figured out, if you don't have any troubles, you ain't, you ain't got no dirt under the rug, no skeletons in the closet, you don't have any issues, don't join our church, we'll mess you up. I'm thankful he still died for messed up people, Amen. Come on, take your mask off tonight. Let's get honest for a moment. Look at your neighbor and tell them. Come on, tell them you got issues. Come on. Yeah, you got issues. Some of you got more than one, I know, but you got issues. Yeah, but isn't that what the church was designed to be? Listen, I, I, I travel on and I, I, I have yet to be in a church that doesn't want to grow. I haven't been in a church yet that don't want folks to be saved, want to be baptized, want to, want to join the church. But typically, we only want people who look like us, act like us, think like us. And friend, when you begin to reach lost people, they bring their luggage, their baggage with them. Maybe that's the problem in the church. We want them to get cleaned up first, and they can't get cleaned up till they meet Dr. Jesus. Amen? Listen, my wife and I, we've discovered some of our best arguments happen on the way to church. 
You guys are probably more spiritual than us, but I can remember man, my kiddos were little. I, I have three girls. Right now they're 24, 21, and 14 years old. All three of them live at home. One of them just graduated college last year, got another and getting ready to graduate. They're both single. If you love Jesus, you got a good job. And you're a man. <laughs> See me after service. But, but I can remember when they're young. Well, I would get up. You know, I'm up and I'm pastoring. I'm getting ready. Man, I, I'm up. I've shaved. I'm dressed 15, 20 minutes. I'm out in the garage, you know, studying my message on patience, honking on. Hurry up. Come on. We got to get to church. <laughs> they taking forever. And finally, my wife would come out. She'd finally get one leg in the car and I'd take off dragging the other down the street. We got to go. And those little old kids crawling in the back seat. I remember, oh, and they started arguing and fighting all the way to church. She's looking at me, Daddy. She's breathing my air. <laughs> she, she couldn't even say staring. She'd say, Daddy, she's tearing at me. She's tearing at me. She's touching me. She's sitting on my side. I said, oh, I've had all I can take. I'm going to touch somebody. We're going to church get spiritual. We'd pull in that church parking lot, open that door, and say, Good morning, brother. How you doing? <laughs> we'll finish this later. <laughs> you laugh because you've been there. Amen. Come on. Some of you there now, I saw you in the parking lot when you're walking in. But anyway, you didn't know who I was. But anyway, I, I'm just telling you. Listen, she was desperate because the Bible says she was a sinner. And hear me tonight. She was not going to let her sinful lifestyle keep her from the Savior. In fact, something was just the opposite true. There was something magnetic. There was something beautiful about Jesus that even though her life was a wreck, she wanted to be in the presence. Of, she wasn't worried Jesus was going to judge her. She knew Jesus was going going to deliver her. Maybe that's an ingredient we've lost in our churches. Hello. I'm not saying we wink at sin, but I'm going to tell you, friends, there must be the grace of God and the mercy of God. And she was in Jesus' presence and she, she wasn't afraid. She wasn't fearful. She knew that's where she needed to be. She was desperate. Number two, you okay? I've only got three. Look at your neighbor and ask him, are you okay? You okay? All right. Number two, you, you, listen, if you're going to ignite the presence of Jesus in your life, in your home, not only must you be desperate, but you, you've got to ignore the criticism. Now watch what happens in our text. Look at verse 39. And now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, Oh, isn't this a holy moment? Isn't this awesome? Oh, I can't believe this would happen in my house. Wait till the fellas down at work hear about this. Honey, come in here. You have got to see. Look at this woman all messed up. The enemy's had her trapped. Look at her at the feet of Jesus. Look at her weeping and worshiping. Oh, I've got glory goosebumps. This is so awesome. This is a, I can't believe this had happened. We've got to get this on Facebook. Gab a camera. This is a, he didn't say any of that. When he saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now think about this. This was a Pharisee. He said, what does that mean, Pastor? Uh, this is a religious leader. 
This is somebody inside the church, not outside the church. Our pastor alluded to this a while ago. This, 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 in our day, this would be somebody who's singing in the choir. This, this would be somebody who's, who's an usher, a greeter out in the lobby areas. This would be somebody maybe teaching a Bible study class, might even be preaching a sermon, feeling to the pastor. This is somebody not outside the church, inside the church, and instead of celebrating, he misses the miracle of the moment because he's too busy keeping score. You know any church members like that? We ain't never done it that way before. <laughs> and he misses the whole miracle. He, he misses the majesty of this moment because he's so concerned that she doesn't have a right to be there. Her life's messed up. Doesn't Jesus know who she Oh, Jesus knew exactly who she was. In fact, the truth of the matter is, Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. Listen to me. Not for the Pharisee, but for the woman. It's interesting. In the whole text, you can read it later tonight, tomorrow. She never responds to the Pharisee. Never. You know why? She's too busy worshiping. Hello. So you get fired up. Can I tell you? When you really, when you get, listen, when you, when God gets a hold of you, can I tell you what will happen? Your greatest critics will come from inside the church, not outside the church. Now, I understand critics on the outside of the church because they don't know God. They, they wonder, why in the world would you go to church on a Wednesday night? Are you nuts? It rained today. Why would you get out? Are you crazy? I mean, why, why, we, they don't understand the joy. They don't understand the, the enthusiasm. They don't know the worship and the music and the friendships and the Word of God. They don't get it. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So I understand them. They're blinded by the enemy. I get that. What I struggle with is folks inside the church that ought to be celebrating... Instead, they're too busy critiquing and criticizing. See, you get fired up from God. Somebody from the cold water committee will show up. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. Some backslidden, dead, cold church member who's forgotten what it's like to be lost. See, you can't fully appreciate where you are until you remember where you've been. Could I say that again? You cannot fully appreciate where you are until you remember where you've been. I tell my folks, be careful criticizing somebody's worship. You weren't there when they didn't have any food in the refrigerator. You, you, you weren't there when that single mom wondered, how am I going to make it? How am I going to take care of little Billy and John? I'm by myself. You, you weren't there when they got the eviction notice. You, you weren't there when, when, when the spouse walked in and said, I found somebody else. I don't love you any longer. You weren't there when their kids were running every which way but the right way. You weren't there when they cried themselves to sleep wondering, how am I going to make it? I don't see any light in the tunnel. And God as only he can. His guardian angels, goodness and mercy from Psalm 23 ushered in that midnight room, pulled them close to his side and said, hey, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. If God is for you, who can be against you? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Hey, I'll make the crooked places. Your enemies will come at you in one direction. They'll flee in seven. So if they get a little excited in worship, excuse them, maybe you could use a dose yourself. Come on, bro. Ignore the criticism. Not everybody will jump on the bandwagon with you. Though none go with me, still I will follow. 
I love the fact that this woman was so focused, so, so consumed with worshiping, with being in the presence of Jesus. She didn't even respond. She, she didn't even acknowledge the Pharisee why she was in the presence of Jesus. She didn't have time for him. At some point, believer, you're going to have to put the, the critics on the sidelines. Some, some, sometimes you just got to shake the dust off your feet and keep moving on. Be kind, be sweet, but God has called you for bigger things and deeper things and you can't allow some critic, you can't allow some knucklehead on the sideline to keep you from experience all God wants you to experience. Hey, my philosophy is I'm getting older. I can't afford to wait on you. I'm going to clear me off a spot and have me a Pentecostal fit. He's been too good. I can't wait on you, my friend. You have to ignore the criticism. And lastly, I would say you've got to worship with passion. And I know you know this because I'm in a worshiping church. I was, I'm telling you, my fire, if I, if I could have, I'd have run me a lap tonight. I'm telling you, my friend. It's, I'm in a worshiping church. I love this. You've got to worship with passion. It ignites, it opens the door for the power and the presence of Almighty God. We're not just singing a few songs, taking up time. We're seeking the face of Almighty God. Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Sometimes I interrupt my church and say, Hey, you believe what you're singing? Yeah, preacher. <laughs> you got me convinced. In the name of Jesus, beautiful. In the name of Jesus, wonderful. In the name of Jesus, powerful. And worship with passion. Let me give you two comments about passion. Number one, it involves your emotions. This woman's in the presence of Jesus and she cried, she wept, she kissed his feet. When you're in the presence of God, Amen. you ought to feel something. Now, I know it's not all feelings. Sometimes it's bad if we get all except. Preacher, it ain't just all about feelings. But Jesus said, true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. We need doctrine, but we also need the spirit, right? In other words, you need facts, but, but you also need fire. You need information, of course, but you also need inspiration. You need both. Worship should challenge your intellect, but it should also stir your heart. Yeah. Presence of God, you ought to feel something. A preacher, what if we get too far out of control? Um, you can relax. We're not even on the radar yet, okay? We're just, we're just working on smiling and breathing right now. That's all we're working on right now. We're just working on smiling. Let everything that has... Look at your neighbor and ask them, do you have breath? Come on. Yeah. It might be bad breath, but they got breath. Amen? Yeah. And worship involves your emotions. Sometimes I'll ask my folks, you've been saved? Yeah. Have your sins been forgiven? Yeah. Tell your face, evidently, it ain't got the message. You know what I'm saying? You, you ought to see what we see up here when we're singing and preaching. You know, folks sit out there, got their arms crossed, got their lips stuck out so far they can sit on and swing their legs, you know, and walk in and sit down. And, I love God, I just hate people. No, it doesn't work that way. I'm telling you, if you know Jesus, it ought to show on your face. Listen, the joy of the Lord is my... I'm not saying we don't have tough times. I've had them. I've had them. I've stood at the, you know, the graveside of a loved one. I've, I've cried myself to sleep. I've had some hard times just like you have. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Listen, when I pulled up on this campus tonight and I saw these cars, I tell you, I got stuck. The, the parking lot was full. I came in through the preschool. 
They ch- I got a badge. They check me in. I've got a number. I, I, it's the way I can get back out. I got to show them my number to get, my, to get to my car again. And I, when I, I'm telling you, when I walked in and saw these people come the north, south, I'm telling you, I just began to laugh in the spirit, man. Oh, God is in the house tonight. God's moving. There, there ought to be a little emotion. My family and I, we uh, vacation Panama City every, every year. We have for years now. My wife and my three daughters. And we go down to Panama City and just hang out for a couple of weeks, just enjoy being one another. While we're on vacation, Brother Jeff, we'll always go to church. And, and, and down there, they, I just kind of walk in and they don't know me, I don't know them. And as I'm walking in, my daughters will say to me, now, Dad, don't talk tonight because you're not the pastor. Don't, don't say nothing. Don't embarrass us. You're not preaching. We're just here to worship. I said, I got it, girls, no problem. And we'll go in and sit on the back row. And, you know, I, you know, I got to get, you got to get to early, sit on the back pew of my church. You like that? I think if I put the back pew out in the parking lot, I'd help folks sit on it. They would. They'd be out there singing, in the name of Jesus, beautiful. Anyway, so we're sitting on the back row. My daughter's looking at me. Don't talk, Daddy. I know you're going to talk. No, I'm not going to say, I got it, I got it. All right, Dad, don't talk. Mommy, he's going to talk. I can tell him. Stop it. He's going to, I can tell he's going to stop it. And sometimes it's all I can do not to just interrupt worship and say, hey, church, I've got an announcement. Jesus isn't dead. He is alive. And I believe everything we do ought to be alive. Our preaching ought to be alive. Our singing ought to be alive. Our fellowship. Man, if you got donuts in the lobby, I'll be spitting up blueberry and raspberry. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's not dead. God forget. Listen, I believe this with all my heart, pastors. I believe preachers, missionaries, communicators of God's word. I believe we're going to get to heaven. And God's going to say, you took the most exciting, thrilling news in all of the world. And you taught it, and you preached it, and you communicated it in such a boring manner. You got more excited about your football team than you did the Word of God. You got more excited about a great deal at the mall. Come on, ladies. I live with four women now. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching now. Come on. They'll park on the interstate to get there at Christmas time. I'm telling you, it's incredible. They'll walk around that Galleria, man, 174 times, carrying 237 packages, got a purse weigh 118 pounds. I watch them march around like that right there. Hey, preacher, how you doing, preacher? Got to get over it. Got to sell. Blue light sale. Got to go. Got to go. <laughs> hey, hey, same folk walk in 20 minutes late. Oh, my bursitis. We stand too long. <laughs> I had to park clear across a parking lot. You parked on the interstate yesterday and walked to the Galleria. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Where's the passion? Worship involves your emotions. But let, let let me say this. Let me land the plane this way. Worship is about giving, not getting. This just shocks me, pastors. In this text of Scripture, this woman never asks Jesus for anything. I mean, it blows me away. I mean, if I was going to go see Jesus, you know, I would say, all right, man, this is my one opportunity, man. I'm telling you, Jesus, we got some needs. Grandma's not feeling well. I got two girls need good husbands and they need a job. And Lord, you know, I've got this going on in my life. And you know, God, you need to take care of this. And God, I I probably would just have a long list as long as my arm to speak to Jesus. Pray on me. Lay hands on me, Jesus. Something. Kick me in the head. Do something. Help me, Jesus. Not, Not this woman. 
She's so consumed with being in the very presence of Jesus. She's so passionate about her worship. She's not there to get anything from him. Boy, how different that is than the generations we've raised. You watch too much Christian television, it'll mess you up. I watch that sometimes and I come away thinking the whole reason God exists is to make me happy. Isn't that cool? I mean, the God of the sovereign Lord of this universe, he's only, listen, the only reason he's here, Kevin, is just to make you happy. Are you serious? Friend, I'm going to tell you, God doesn't need me. I need him. Worship is about giving. Giving. She gave two things and I'm done. Number one, she gave her perfume. It's obvious. It's there. The ointment, right? There's something special about women and perfume. Again, I I live with my wife and three daughters, four ladies. There's so much hairspray and perfume in my house, I have to have an albuterol treatment to preach every Sunday. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. It's incredible. Yeah. I remember my first little church, but Jeff is in Murray, Kentucky, West Kentucky, and I was pastor. Little small church, had a cemetery on one side and a parsonage on another. Sometimes there's more life in the cemetery than the church. You know what I'm talking about. But anyway, and I'd go over on Saturday because I was on the staff here to make sure everything was set up and everything was ready for Sunday. And I walked in one Saturday and I thought, man, something done crawled up in the wall and died. We got a dead raccoon, a squirrel, something, a big old raccoon. I don't know what it is. And I followed it and my nose into, into a little auditorium, little, little worship center we had. And there was a, sp- a precious little 88-year-old widow standing in the back and, and she was dusting some things off of the back and I called her. I'll never forget this. It's just as real to me as yesterday. I said, Judell, do you smell that? She said, yes. I said, what is that? She said, it's my perfume. Do you like it? I said, I love it. <laughs> hey, mama didn't raise no fool now. I know how to survive. And I'll never forget this. She, this is the honest truth. She shook her head like a teenager, you know, and she said, preacher, she said, they call it midnight passion. <laughs> and without thinking, I just said to her, Judell, that's great, but you go to bed at 730. And she said back, I know, but if I'm ever up to midnight, preacher, I am ready. <laughs> See, honest God's truth. My wife's here, she'd tell you that. It's incredible. So listen, here in those days, right, when you're going to visit someone of great esteem, someone of prestige, you would always take a gift in those days. So here's this woman. Use your mind. She's shutting her little one-bedroom apartment, right? She has nothing in there, just a bed and a a chest of drawers. And she begins to shut the door thinking, I've got to take Jesus something. What am I going to take the Lamb of God? And she sees that bottle of perfume on her dresser and she thinks, it's all I've got. I'll take it to him. It's the most expensive thing I have. I'll take it to him. By the way, another sermon. The very thing the enemy was using to keep her handcuffed, it was the perfume that would first catch the man's scent, his attention. The very thing the enemy was using to keep her handcuffed, she gave it to Jesus and he set her free. Come on. Hey, listen to me. He can do the same thing for you. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know the issues you're not. I'll guarantee you in a crowd this size, this huge crowd tonight, there's some issues. There's some generational curses. There's some strongholds in there. You know what it is. You battle it. Your family's battle it. Your daddy battle it. Your granddaddy battle it. It's been in your family. I'm telling you, tonight Jesus can set you free and break that curse off your whole family. That's the power of God and the blood of Jesus. So she comes to Jesus, right? 
and she anoints his feet with her perfume. Interesting. She pours it. She gives all she has. I tell my folks, you get out of worship what you invest in it. Right? I didn't get much out of church because you slept through half of it. You didn't experience God's best Sunday morning because you gave your best somewhere else Saturday night. Hello. Here's this woman. I mean, if it had been me, I would have said, all right, now Jesus, typically I use one dab. This is expensive stuff. This is how I pay my bills. But since you are Jesus, all right, let me show you what I'm going to do. Put your hand out. Come on, put your hand. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. This is what I typically do. Dab. No, no, no. This is Jesus now. I'm going to double dab it. And you have to, anyway, you know, I'm going to, bam, bam. And I think I would step back thinking Jesus is going to say, my goodness, wow, Kevin, I'm so proud of you. That's so awesome. And here's this woman. She wasn't thinking about a rainy day. This was her opportunity at the feet of Jesus. And listen to me. I'm almost done. Stay with me. She gave everything she had and Jesus responded. How many times we give half-hearted worship? I'm preaching myself tonight. I tell my folks, when you walk out of church, you ought to walk out worn out and tarred. Way past tired now. I'm talking about tired because you gave it everything you had. I mean, you were sitting on the edge of your seat. You're saying, preach it, brother. I love that word. Sing it again. Matter of fact, choir to turn that around. I'd have to have my nitroglycerin tablet. Woo! Wasn't God in the house? Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, I'm war slap out. That's the way many of my folks are after an Alabama-Auburn football game. They come up out of the den and say, preach it. Field goal to go. Oh, I'm telling you, I'd have had a heart attack right there. Woo! Just soaking wet. And to come to church and give him leftovers. No wonder he doesn't show up. Last thing she gives, I'm done. She gave, it's always been in the text, pastors, but I, I, it's obvious, but I hadn't seen it till one day in the office. God just said, look here, here it is. She gave her hair. Her hair. Her hair. Now, that didn't really rot my world at first because, fellas, we don't, hair doesn't mean much to us. If we don't have a lot, we just get ready quicker. It ain't no big deal to us, you know. I mean, fellas, you know, we can be bald and have big gut. We think, I ain't bad. I ain't bad. could be better, but I ain't bad. <laughs> Not ladies. Listen now, I got a wife and three daughters. I'm an expert in this. Women love it. They can do anything in the world there. I walked in the day, my middle daughter was ironing her hair on an ironing board. I'm telling you. You can cut it and, you know, perm it and moose it and tease it and twist it. And, I'm incredible. Something special about women and their hair. Uh, I guarantee you in this, Brother Glenn, I guarantee it, Brother Jeff, in your church, you have ladies that are battling for their life with cancer. And I've said to them, hey, help me. What's the worst thing you've ever faced in your journey? Help me minister to somebody else. I've not been down that road. Help me. And they will say to me every time, Pastor, I don't want to tell you it seems so trivial. It's just, it's almost embarrassing. I said, don't tell me. I I need to know. If you would, please. What's the worst thing you ever faced? No, preacher, it's it's silly. No, no, tell me. All right, all right, you want to know? And then they would say, you know, everything tasted like battery acid and I was dizzy and I couldn't sleep. And, you know, it just, they went down the whole long list and they said, but that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing is the morning I got up and I looked in that mirror and all my hair was gone. Preacher, I'm embarrassed to tell you, that just devastated me. 
And every time I put my arm around them and I said, listen, that's the way God wired you. First Corinthians says a woman's hair is her glory. And here's this woman giving the very hairs of her head, giving her glory to the king of glory. In those days, they didn't have the carpet and the, the asphalt and the concrete. and the, You know, they traveled by foot, by donkey and dusty and dirty. And someone he visited your house, the, the lowest person in the house, a little servant girl or boy would run and grab the water basin. Maybe some of you precious older adults, maybe even remember some of them that have a water basin there. And many times to say we're honored during our home, that little servant girl or boy would remove your sandals and wash your feet and they take the towel and drive your feet and, and replace your sandals and say we're, we're blessed, we're honored you would be in our home. So here's the scene. This woman's at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, you can't wipe someone's hair standing up. Hello. The Bible says his feet are wet with her tears, so her head is down in worship. And her tears are flowing from her cheeks, dripping onto his feet. And the little servant girl says, let me go get a towel. And she says, we don't need a towel. Oh, yeah, we do this all the time. I just did this last week. It's just around the corner. We do, it's right here. Be right back. She says, no, 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 don't need a towel. And she takes the very hairs of her head and she wipes the feet of Jesus. Wait just a second. The Pharisees over there keeping score. He's missed the whole moment. <laughs> it wasn't done the way he thought it ought to be done. And he missed it. And Jesus, I believe. I love Brother Jeff. This is my sermon. I'll preach it the way I want. I like that. I, be, I believe Jesus, as only he could, the good shepherd, reached down and caressed her face and lifted her head. He's the lifter of our heads. And for the first time in a long time, she was looking in a man's eyes who didn't want anything from her. And he said to her, the four sweetest words you'll ever hear in your life, ever recorded in the Bible, chapter 7, verse 48. Woman, your sins are forgiven. And her life was never the same. Can you imagine how she left that house that night? Could you imagine what it would be like in worship with her next Sunday when they begin to sing, Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? <laughs> Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful and powerful? There's healing in that name. There's freedom in this name. Don't you know she might have a little shout to her worship? So I don't shout, preacher. There's going to be shouting in heaven. But I don't shout. Maybe you won't be there. I don't know. I'm just telling you, hear me now, I'm through. When Jesus touches you, when he sets your soul free, when he washes your sins away, you're never the same. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained with it. I was seeking to rise noble. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. 
And the burden, the guilt, the condemnation of my sin, it rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am No, no, no. When you say happy, you got to mean happy. (laughs) Say happy, Ethel. I think he'll let us go. Say happy. (laughs) And now I am happy. If you have any teeth, now's the time to show them. (laughs) And now I am happy. All the days. 